We're back with The Deep Dive, our weekly podcast that takes a deeper look at everything we're creating at The Walrus. I'm Simran Singh. And I'm Angela Misri. On this week's episode... In the story, there's a quote from Leonard Cohen from one of his songs, which I've always loved, in which he says, we are so lightly here. Even non-people who wouldn't sit down and read the lyrics and maybe wouldn't catch that as it was playing in the background. I've mentioned that line to a number of people, uh, including students actually, who caught into that, who got that. Since COVID-19, we have all become more aware of death. We are bombarded with data on a weekly basis, watching charts and calculating deaths, all while trying to function in our daily lives. Which leads us to this story about a degree program that deals with death at a curriculum level. For those non-Canadians, King's University College is based in London, Ontario. And David Swick wrote about the students who study thanatology, or death education. Most teenagers think they are invincible. Yet King's students feel compelled to dive deep into this taboo subject. I really want to know why. Let's hear your interview with David Swick. David, can we start with what inspired you to write this story about students of death? Well, pre-COVID, death was, for most people, abstract, hypothetical. For other people, (laughs) easy to ignore. And now we've had two years of having death scorecards on the top fold of major media and masks and lockdowns and the whole rest of it. And we've had two years of having our biggest fear, death, right in our face. And that's interesting. As you say, there's other places where people study death. What attracted you to this specific program? So when I bumped into um, the fact that this thanatology program existed, I knew that there were programs like this, but I'd never heard of one. And indeed, this is the only one in all of North America that takes students right out of high school. So right away, I thought, who are these people at 18, 19 years old who want to study death? And why do they want to do that? And how does that affect them? All the other ones are master's programs. And a lot of the way that thanatology, death and dying is taught in a lot of places it is very closely attached to nursing or to other kinds of medical endeavors. So here, the fact that it is a, um, a program started with one course in the mid-70s, a local doctor in London, Ontario, pitched it to the school and they, they picked him up on it and it grew. More students wanted more students to the point where, I think it was 20 years or so ago, um, the university actually made it into a full degree granting department And this past year, there were some 560 students taking different courses, which is astounding. And I thought maybe walrus readers want to know about that. How does one grade a course on death? Yeah, I asked the the same question. Uh, It turns out it's actually quite uh, rigorous. There are uh, textbooks. There are very serious marking rubrics. There is an academic rigor to this program. There is also, though, a deeply heartfelt side. Students need to bring their full humanity if they want to do this delicate work well. A lot of these students go on to working in hospices or with um, people in hospitals and um, funeral homes and other kinds of things. And so some of the classes in this program, actually, there are Kleenex boxes set up around the room. 
because stuff's going to come up. This isn't like most other university programs that, yes, academic rigor, um, you need to have the historical understanding and all of the facts of what these medicines do and all this kind of stuff. But you also need to have developed your humanity. And that um, I thought was fascinating. And as I talked to more and more students and graduates, the more I could see that playing out, that there, these people had something that most of us don't have. So two things come to mind when you say that. First of all, I feel like everyone could use this course, like everyone could use a little more humanity in what they're learning. And secondly, why isn't this a required course for everyone who deals with health? Well, a lot of the students who take courses from the thanatology department are indeed nurses and other people involved with other programs who want some of this a franker understanding of death and dying than maybe they can they can get elsewhere. But you raise a good point. I mean, the um, in the piece I mentioned that the Russian composer Shostakovich, he said that if people face death, if people talked about death a little more and came to accept that this is a real thing, he said, we would all make fewer foolish mistakes. And I think he's probably right. I've never gone sort of this deep into thinking about a lot of these things before writing this article. And um, I think he's right. And as a society, we do so many things so well. And we've become a lot more compassionate in a whole bunch of ways in the last 30 or 40 years. Terrific. But death, for most of us, for most of our families even, remains taboo. And that means we continue to make foolish mistakes as a society. We'll be right back. I'm Lauren Tamaki, and I'm an illustrator and designer. My latest work for The Walrus was a portrait that accompanied a review of Sheila Hetty's new book, Pure Color. I commonly use a lot of color in my portraits, and I especially love when they clash and are contradictory. I was so inspired by the cover of Pure Color, which was designed by the amazing Nakim. She used this particular Ellsworth Kelly green on the cover that I knew I needed in the illustration. When I was looking at photo references of Sheila, I noticed she would often thoughtfully put her hand to her face, so I included that as well. She also always has this beautiful enigmatic smile, and I hope I captured the smile, the vibrancy, and sensitivity of Sheila, who is so good and such an incredible author. Illustration and art has always had a home at The Walrus, and you can support their work and mine by subscribing to The Walrus at thewalrus.ca slash subscribe. I don't know about your family, but my family doesn't talk about death or what happens after or wills or anything like that. And this has caused all kinds of stress where people hide things and you find out after the fact. Do you think this kind of course could help people be able to move their own cultural realities along, you know, to talking about death? Yeah, I think I live next door to your family. <laughs> uh, yeah, my family did not talk about death. 
uh, or a lot of other things that just didn't didn't uh, happen. I mean, in lots lots of ways, you know, wonderful family. But as and a lot of us would say something like that about our families. There's an interesting stat that did not make the article, which is that about 75% of Canadians want to die at home. And the percentage that does is less than 20%. So there's this huge gap, you know, when you think of your grandmother, you think of people in old folks' homes, you think of people who are at a time of life when they are starting to turn their thoughts to what can I have control over? What is important to me? I want to die at home. And we fail four-fifths of those people. There's something wrong with that. And, and I think it's in large measure because we don't talk about death as a society or in our families. And if we did, you'd see those numbers change and we would act out more compassion. This line really struck me in your story. It says, she and other students have entered the thanatology program and graduated as stronger, happier people. Can you talk about the lasting effects on the students who go through this program? Yeah. You know, years ago, I did my master's on uh, the first hospice in the U.S. And so there I met all kinds of people who had created this and were now working not just in Connecticut and New York, but I also went over to England and got to hang around one of the oldest hospices in the U.K. And here's the thing. Almost everyone I have met in the field of death and dying has faced this ancient deep fear to some serious degree. They come to some terms with death and not to obsess about it, but just to be aware, hey, life is finite. Life ends. Rather than always look away from this, I'm just going to look at this again. Life ends. What does this mean? What do I want? How should I change things? And this, perhaps ironically, gives these people a certain solidity that you don't see in, in most other people. And so even the, the graduates I talked to from this King's program, you know, who are 23 years old, they have a, they've been through the fire of this deep fear or they're um, on the way doing that. And that has given them a ballast of sanity that is most impressive. And I'm sure I drove the director and some of the teachers and a lot of the students or grads crazy from phoning back and phoning back and phoning back. And partly I think I was just verifying for myself, oh, these people are as solid and deep as they first appear and maybe more so. It was most impressive, impressive crowd. <laughs> Has writing this story brought up any memories about how death has been dealt with in your own family and in your own history? You know, my father died a dozen years ago in a hospital, didn't want to be in a hospital. He'd been a sailor as a young man. And at one point when everyone, including he knew that he was in his final two or three days, I had a brilliant idea. I said, I ran out to one of the nurses and I said, hey, great idea. If we unplug him from some of these things and move his bed, he can see the ocean from his hospital bed. And it went through various layers of bureaucracy and was not allowed because it was against protocol. And I thought, there's something wrong with our society that this would happen. And this is a common story. Lots of Canadian families could tell you stuff like this. It's a tricky thing, though, because, you, yeah, a lot of people 
are not just afraid of death, but um, have the attitude that, you know, I'll deal with death when I'm, when I'm dead, when I'm gone. And that's unfortunate for the people who love them because the people who love them know it can be better than that. My great aunt June, who was a wonderful woman, so bright and sparky, she perhaps is the only person I've met, certainly in my family and friends, who professed no fear of death whatsoever. And Aunt June always said, death is like the prize at the end of the party. Finally, the big mystery answered and you get to like take it and wander off. And I thought that was just a beautiful, beautiful way of looking at it. Haven't quite achieved that myself, but something to aspire to. That's my conversation with David Swick. Swick is an assistant professor at the University of King's College in Halifax, where he teaches about journalism ethics. His story on students of death was edited by Harley Rustad, and it's out right now at thewalrus.ca and linked in our show notes. Let's hear about what David is watching right now. The answer, what I've been viewing, to my astonishment, because I tend to, you know, I have favorite French filmmakers and whatever, I've been gorging on the American show The Office just because I needed something like... Yeah, I rarely have gone to distraction at the end of the day, but it's actually been kind of a heavy winter and uh, I just needed some laughs and that's what I've been doing. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Deep Dive. It was produced by me and Angela Mystery, who also edited this episode. Thanks so much to David Swick for joining us this week. Music for this podcast is provided by Audio Jungle. Our theme song is This Podcast Theme by InPlus Music. Additional music is Stay Cool by Loops Lab, Shores of Avalon by Kevin MacLeod, and Scandinavians by Skydancer. Don't forget to subscribe to The Deep Dive from The Walrus on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review and rating. It really helps people find the podcast. See you next week when we take our next deep dive.